The rate of U.S. adolescents and young adults dying of suicide had reached its highest level in nearly two decades. According to a report published today in the Journal of the American Medical Association, in 2017, there were 47% more suicides among people aged 15 to 19 than in the year 2000. And overall, there are 36% more people aged 20 to 24 living in the U.S. today than the turn of the century. With more than 6,200 suicides among people aged 15 to 24, suicide ranked as the second leading cause of death for people in that age group. And this has been made worse by the pandemic. If you're a parent of a teen, or if you know someone who does, please stay tuned. This may very well save a life. It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. With me to discuss this very important topic of teen suicide is Jackie Simmons. Jackie is a TEDx speaker, radio show host, international best-selling author, resilience master, and co-founder of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. Jackie is best known for her mission to stop teen suicide. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast today. Thank you, Fred. If there's something I love doing, it's challenging paradigms and mindsets. You are in the right place then. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) So Jackie, what led you on this quest to become an advocate of teen suicide prevention? Um, I wasn't led. I was hit upside the head with a sledgehammer. Mm. The August the 3rd, 2019. So only two years ago. I, wow. I walked into the conference room of the hotel on the outside of Sarasota, Florida, and greeted the 12 speakers that I had trained to deliver messages that matter. Everything worked that day, Fred. The videographer was set, the PowerPoint works, the microphone worked, the audience took their seats. My middle daughter, Stephanie, was one of the speakers. Oh my God, she was getting into that nervous, excited state you get into right before you give a talk. She looked amazing with her hair pulled back in combs and a dark blouse and flowery skirt. She was first up on the speaker's roster. I welcomed her to the front of the room She walked up confidently and shook my hand and started with over 3,000 teens will attempt to take their own lives today. Wow. In the back of the room, I was stunned for two reasons. One, I had no idea the number was that high. And two, I had no idea suicide was her topic. She continued. When I was 14, after a bad day of shopping, I stood in my bathroom and the pain of not fitting into any clothes was just more proof that I didn't fit in anywhere. And that pain was more than I could bear. So I took a razor and cut into my left arm, trying to end the pain and my life. In the back of the room, I could feel 
the blood drain from my face. Have you ever been hijacked by a bad memory, Fred? I Not to lived, the extent. I yeah. When she was 14, I had lived through that with her. But only 30 years of stress management training kept me from crawling into a corner that morning and just bawling. And she kept talking. It wasn't my only attempt. There were others. I've never really talked about it outside of getting professional help. Not even with mom. Mom and I had the other talks. We had the talk about sex and the talk about drugs and the talk about alcohol. Then I went to college on a dry campus. That means the kegs were hidden inside the showers of the girls' dorm. Mom and I had to talk about alcohol more than once. But we never talked about suicide. It was too awkward, too painful, too easy to avoid. And I still struggle with suicidal thoughts. Fred, in the back of the room, I went from, my heart just sank, and I went from pale to bone cold. As I realized these struggles, my daughter had faced alone because I didn't have the courage to have the talk about suicide with her. Stephanie wound up her talk that day by saying, on my suicide avoidant journey, I've learned tons of coping skills. Now I want to teach those skills to teens before they need them. Before they need them. There wasn't a dry eye in the room, including mine. Stephanie got, you know, everybody standing ovation and people rushed up and hugged her and thanked her for being so willing, so vulnerable, so brave. And in the back of the room, I was frozen, torn between pride for her bravery and guilt and shame for my cowardice. And then it hit me, Fred. 3,000 teenagers just in the U.S. attempt to take their own lives every day. This means 6,000 parents start to live the guilt nightmare that I'd lived. And Fred, this means every day over 20,000 grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters start to live the guilt nightmare. And this means hundreds of thousands of classmates, teachers, boyfriends, girlfriends, neighbors start to live the guilt nightmare that I'd lived, all probably just as blindsided by it as I had been. Wow. And then I wondered, what if Stephanie was right? What if the way to stop teen suicide was as simple as having the talk about suicide before you think they need it, before your teen starts to struggle with suicidal thoughts? So that's what we started doing. After that event, Stephanie and I decided to work together. Who knew that was possible? And we co-founded with her sisters, the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, and started teaching people how to have the talk. And it's been quite a journey mm. in the last two years. What a powerful background, uh, uh, Jackie. I mean, I, I, I'm a parent of a teenager, um, and I have a lot of friends and family members who do. 
But I admit that this topic of uh, suicide prevention, especially among teens, it's not one that um, is a staple, if you will, among our conversation topics. I, I, I do recall having uh, broaching the subject really one time uh, with, with, with my daughter um, and, and asking if she's ever contemplated. And, you know, she's like, why would I, right? But, but, but this, is, this, is, this is real. Uh, 3,000 attempted teen suicides. That's, that's staggering. Um, and particularly so among uh, teenage girls. Why, Jackie, in your, um, in your years, right, with the work that, that you do, why is this more, more common uh, among teenage girls versus their male counterparts? Oh, well, let's get clear. Attempts are higher among teenage girls. Deaths from suicide are higher among teenage boys. Mm. Okay, so we've got two different groups. You also have that boys don't talk as much. So the number of attempts among boys might not be as reported as the number of attempts among girls. Not to diminish your question about why is it so high among girls. There's two answers to this. These are both based on my 30 years as a stress management consultant, what I know of how the brain really works, and having raised three teenage daughters, and I have four grandsons that are all in teenage years now. Here's the deal. The one skill that is missing in our society today is the one that we used to get automatically growing up. When we were growing up, Fred, do you remember multi-generational meals where aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, everybody got together? Yes. What did we learn? We learned that you could disagree without destroying a relationship. We learned something called emotional resilience. We're not having multi-generational meals anymore. As a matter of fact, courtesy of technology and COVID, we're not having single or double generational meals. Mm -hmm. we are, so we're not learning the skill of emotional intelligence. We're not learning emotional agility. We're not agility. We're not learning that we bounce, that relationships can bounce and not break. And so without that basic understanding of emotional resilience that we can bounce back, we live in fear and anxiety. And our children are dealing with a level of anxiety that we've never experienced before for two reasons. One is this baseline not feeling safe in our relationships. The other is that we are being exposed to more negative images and language in one hour then our system was designed to absorb in a lifetime. So the need for emotional resilience is higher now and the ability to learn it is lower. So we've got the perfect storm, if you will, mm -hmm. not just for teens, but especially for teens. And here's why, not just for teens, because we are all exposed to more negative images, more negative language, more negative headlines, more of this, coming at us than ever before. And especially for teens, because part of their brain is missing. Their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. Prefrontal cortex, this is where you get perspective. 
The lovely thing about children is they live in the present moment. The tragedy of this is they don't have the perspective of time. So they don't understand that just because it hurts this moment doesn't mean it will hurt forever, mm. especially emotional pain. Mm. Thanks for that distinction there uh, between, you know, teenage girls and, and, and teenage boys. And, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, Jackie, the, the concept of psychological safety, um, where we, we encourage dialogue, right, be it be it negative, allowing people to express their feelings. It's more something that's popular uh, in the workplace. However, given the, the importance of what we're discussing, I would, I would imagine that we need to encourage more of this conversation. I get it that, you know, with the competing, which is no excuse, by the way, the competing priorities of, of parents and, you know, doing, you know, working long hours and sometimes, you know, two or three jobs and, um, and so there is a lot of influence and, and um, pressure that the kids get from, from, from their laptops, from their phones or, or whatever, which, which I would imagine that feeds into, into some of this, uh, what we experience. You talk about, you know, the family meals and gathering around the table and, and having that, that, that uh, discourse there. I, I recall uh, a few years ago, um, a Facebook post from, from a teenager uh, boy. Uh, for that matter, in, in, in our neighborhood, who had posted something um, on his Facebook feed, you know, something about being depressed and people's comments, I, I recall, were, you know, get over it, whatever. I mean, it was, it was diminished or, or minimized. Not too long You're after that. Yeah, not too long after that, Jack, unfortunately, this, this teenager took his life. And mm-hmm. that, that hit home. Um, and so what you're saying about, um, you know, the, 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 the distractions and all, that are, all the things that our kids are facing makes it even more important about, makes it even more important um, why we should have, why we should be intentional, right, about, about these conversations with our kids. Oftentimes we're, I, I think the topic is, is viewed as so uh, grim, right, but until it happens to you, uh, you realize that this is, this is a real and, and present danger. How do we make this a part of our, our daily or, or everyday conversations, Jackie, based on your experience? For two years, we struggled with that. For two years, we created what is the best tool we could create. Okay, so here's, when you have the talk with your children, the talk about sex or drugs or alcohol, have you noticed that the first thing that happens is their eyes kind of roll back in their head? Yeah, I'm going to sit here and you're going to tell me stuff. And I already know this. Matter of fact, my daughters went so far as when I sat them down to have the talk about sex, they said, yeah, mom, what do you want to know? And I went, whoops, maybe I waited a little too long. And I did a public service campaign. You know, parents, are you waiting? Do you wait to talk to your kids about sex until after they're pregnant? Do you wait to talk to your teen about drugs until they're in rehab? Mm. Do you wait to talk to them about alcohol until after they've lost their license for drunk driving? Are you waiting to talk with your kid about suicide? And the response to that public service campaign was crickets. And the reason is because one, the talks about sex, drugs, and alcohol don't work to prevent the problem. Because kids screen them out as soon as they feel like they're being talked to. Same is true about suicide. You bring it up. Hey, are you struggling with suicide? Hey, do you have a plan? All of the 
scripts, if you will, the guides for parents to have this talk, trigger that teenage response of the eyes rolling back. You're invading my space kind of attitude. And teens are entitled to their privacy to Mm -hmm. a point. So what we did was we created a science-based, very simple four-question guide that creates, and it comes with the preamble. Here's what's wrong with most talks with teens. They don't have a preamble that works. Like the preamble to the constitution that sets everything up, you know, we the people. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's, hey, Fred, I'm part of the mission to make teen suicide a thing of the past. I have a guide that I need to practice. Would you have 10 minutes tomorrow that I could practice with you? That's a preamble. Here's what just happened. Their brain gets the message that you need their help. What happens in your brain when you think that you can help someone? It lights up this feel-good chemical producing part of the brain that says, oh, look at me. I can help. We love to help. And you've already told them what the topic is. And you've told them you're going to be practicing a guide, which means it's not personal. You don't think they're at risk. It's not about them. It's about the mission to make teen suicide a thing of the past. It took the over a year to figure this out, to make it where there was enough safety, psychological safety around this container that people say yes to the conversation. Hey, hey, Fred, why don't we do a demo for your peeps? Why sure. don't I? Okay, cool. We'll pretend that I asked you yesterday. And that you said yes. Sure. All right. Fred, thank you so much for letting me practice the guide with you. It's only four questions. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Cool. Question one. Fred, have you heard about the rise in teen suicides? Yes. Thank you. Fred, question two. Do you have a story? Do you have a friend who's tried or died? Not not directly. Thank you. Question three. Fred, have you ever thought of leaving that way? Mm -hmm. No. Thank you. Question four. Fred, why stay? What are your reasons for staying? Because mm, there's a lot more I want to accomplish in life than, than taking my life. Why else? I feel like it's, um, perhaps I need to ask for help. Maybe I'm not asking for enough help. Maybe I'm allowing something to push me to the edge. Something I could get help with if I talked about it versus deciding to take my life. Another way to look at this, Fred, are you ready? Yes. What's so good about your life that you want more of it? I want to be able to spend the rest of my life with with family and friends and and live life to, to my full potential. Anyone watching this recording, Fred, just saw your whole body change. Your whole face lit up. What just happened in your brain is that the 
neuro network around this whole subject of suicide got the energy pulled from it. And that energy has now built out a new neuro pathway labeled reasons for staying. And so now that you have this file folder, reasons for staying, anytime that you have a natural, normal thought of leaving, which by the way, suicidal thoughts are normal. Suicidal ideation is not when you get stuck in it. But now a thought will come in, it'll bump up against the filter labeled reasons for staying, and it'll just bounce right off. So you've built out a buffer between yourself and the edge. And so did everyone listening, which is what's so cool about this. Because when you started talking about your reasons for staying, everybody who's listening, their brain started looking for their reasons for staying. And when you have this file folder of reasons for staying, I don't have to worry about you ever needing to talk you off a ledge. Because there's this buffer between you and the edge. Mm. I love that four-step process, uh, Jackie. Yeah, I think that makes makes for. I mean, it's it's direct uh, uh, for for a purpose, right? It's not open it open ended, right? It, it it's direct. It's poignant. It's it's designed, right, to draw those those direct answers. It didn't give me a lot of options to think why, right? It's it was very direct, and I'm sure that was designed that way for a reason, right? Oh yeah, my coaching clients, my students who are coaches, just like freaked out. They're like, it's a closed-ended question. And I'm like, yes, it's three closed-ended questions that bring it from the concept to the neighborhood, if you will, and then to the personal. And then the open-ended question on the other side of the coin on why stay. And this is very specifically designed to work with your brain the way your brain is designed to work. Now, here's what's built into it. This is for all parents or all anyone who wants to practice the talk with their peers or their loved ones. If someone answers yes to question three, they have had thoughts of leaving and they have zero reasons for staying. Thoughts of leaving, zero reasons for staying. Stay with them and call 911 they might hate you for it and you might save their life. Yes. Now, here's the caveat. In the thousands of talks that we have had, that the talkers have had, the advocates have had, that zero have ever had that scenario happen. It's not like one in 10,000 or whatever. It is zero out of all of the talks that we've had. Mm. But it's there if it's needed. And we go, you know, hey, you got an uneasy feeling? Stay with them and call the National Suicide Intervention Hotline. Let them be, talk to a trained intervention specialist. We're not that. We are really far upstream from that. We are proactive prevention program providers. Mm -hmm. And we value our intervention specialists. If it was not for them, my daughter might not be here. So put them on the phone. If you've got any queasiness, get them on the phone with a stranger. Why? Because it's easier to talk to a stranger than it is to talk with somebody who might know the possible players in our pain. Yes. Yes. So have make sure that everybody knows that there are safe outlets. 
Our partners do amazing things. We have free and anonymous assessments for depression and anxiety that anyone can access at any time and get mental health guided help to know, am I just worried or am I suffering from anxiety? Am I just down or am I dealing with depression? So free and anonymous. We have amazing resources available at the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. People step up and are providing us with the tools that you can use to build your emotional muscles. Our primary mission, make teen suicide a thing of the past. Mm. But Jackie, what, what do you think are some of the, the warning signs of teen suicide? I want to give every parent here a break. Take a deep breath. What I'm going to share with you now is going to be shocking. The first sign that your kid's at risk is likely to be an attempt and they don't all survive. What we've discovered is that looking for signs is waiting for trouble. And here's why. After my daughter's attempt, I went to the Center for Disease Control website. I downloaded their warning signs of suicide, and it was the most guilt-producing document I've ever read in my entire life. Because in hindsight, with that guide, I could see that there were signs. In the day-to-day living, my brain, the reticular activating system, that very thing I told you about with the, you know, now we've got this reasons for staying filter. Mm -hmm. A parent's brain has a filter that says, my kid's okay. So your brain as a parent will filter out the signs. Mm. And what are you going to do if you think there's a sign? Nine times out of 10, when we've gone through a survey with parents, they would do exactly what I did. Nothing. They won't bring up the topic. Why? Because what if I'm wrong? What if they're not struggling? Mm. I don't want to put the thought in their head. Mm. You cannot put a thought into somebody's head. It won't stick unless they've got something in there that's Velcro that it's going to hook to. So have the talk. It's why we did this. We've got the suicide risk factor assessment. You can look at where you're at risk because It's not about signs. You're not going to see them until they're so big and in your face that they are already struggling with suicidal thinking. They're already struggling with depression. They're already struggling. We don't call that prevention. At that point, they need intervention. You haven't prevented the problem. If you're looking for signs of the problem, you cannot prevent the problem. We want to make sure that there are never any signs for you to be watching for. That's our goal. That's why we want you to have the talk. That's why we want you to play the games. Why we want you to use the neurotechnology tools that build emotional resilience in three minutes a day and the effect lasts for six to eight hours. You know, we've got these resources. The reason is because everything else we could find was about looking for signs. Everything. Oh, and we figured out why. You're going to love this analysis, Fred. Suicide prevention programs that are prevalent in our culture are based on solving the problem of how do we stop suicide? Mm. That's the question. 
So their population are people who are at risk for suicide. That's who they studied. That's who they designed the programs for. If somebody's already at risk for suicide, they already have a mental health diagnosis. They have a previous attempt. They have any of the signs. They need intervention. And that's what most suicide prevention programs are, are intervention. We decided to ask a different question. Our question is not, how do you stop suicide? At the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, our question is, how do you stop suicidal thoughts from getting stuck inside someone's head? Mm, That's a powerful question. When we started answering that question, we realized that it's possible to put, and, and this is my goal, to put suicide intervention programs and hotlines out of business. And the day that I discovered that suicide prevention hotlines measure their success by the number of phone calls they receive, they consider themselves more successful the more phone calls they receive. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not prevention of suicidal thinking. It's not prevention of the problem. Mm-hmm. It prevention of this act, but not of the problem. The problem, right. Right. You know, they're trying to prevent the end game and they're not addressing the fact that maybe we could get them to stop playing the game. So that's what we're doing. Wow. And, and as we, this man, we could talk about this all day, Jackie, but um, you, let, let's wrap this up by talking about uh, building that resilience mindset, right? Because you, you distinguish between, you know, the, the, you know, the act itself, but, but then the problem still lingers, right? How do we, what are, you know, some of the ways we build a, uh, a resilience mindset. You build a resilience mindset first by learning some basic stress management tools. Mm-hmm. As a stress management consultant, emergency stress management procedure number one is take a deep breath. Noticing how your body expands to receive the air, breathing deeply enough that your belly moves, activating your diaphragm, and noticing how effortlessly your body releases the air. Three deep, slow breaths trigger your brain into a different chemical reaction. It actually tells your body that you're safe. So that's always emergency stress management procedure number one. The second is get some basic understanding of how do you create a safe way to talk about what's important to you. That's why we created the Talks That Save Lives program. Because when you're having the talk with your team, using that four-step script, you're building the emotional resilience in the team and in yourself. So that's another way. It simply helps you become aware of what you're thinking. And by the way, your thinking is what triggers your emotions. So when you have an awareness of what you're thinking, You then have control over your emotions at a very basic level. And so this is how you start. Those two simple awarenesses, one that you can absolutely calm yourself down by taking three very deep, very slow, conscious breaths, noticing how your body expands to receive the air, focusing on how effortlessly your body releases the air. That intervenes in a stress reaction. And then noticing your thoughts, which is what the guides do. The whole program has four guides. 
the one to stop suicide. There's one to stop negative thinking, how to look at yourself through the eyes of kindness, getting to know, like, and trust yourself, because that's key for having self-esteem, the sense of self-worth is when you know, like, and trust yourself. And by the way, in sales, when you know, like, and trust yourself, it makes it a lot easier for other people to get to know, like, and trust you because you come across as authentic. So we put that guide in place. And then we put in the guide that actually bounces bullies out of your life by building boundaries. So the talk to stop bullying, that guide is here. Very powerful to walk yourself through. It gives you a framework for making decisions that makes decisions for your life very easy. And teens get it because it's done with a ballpark analogy. And then there's my favorite, which is the talk to stop self-sabotage which is based on this concept of making peace with your past. So you come out of Shouldville, that dark, dank place where lives can get lived and dreams go to die. So we put that package together to help build emotional resiliency easily. In four weeks, people have this new solid foundation with the four pillars that they can then build their life on because they've got a solid place to stand. Jackie, where can listeners find information um, about your program? Their website, um, information you want to share? And it will be on the screen as well for those who are watching. TeenSuicidePreventionSociety.com. That's where you can find information about us and our programs. And if you click on partners, you'll find access to all of the resources that we've talked about here today and some others. And we love it if you visit the program because we're on a mission. We want everyone to be able to imagine a time, imagine a world where teen suicide is a thing of the past. Jackie, this is a topic that um, is not is not one, it's, it's not exhaustive, right? This is something that we have to do over and over again. I know you're you're very busy, but we'd like to bring you back at a future day to continue this discussion. But if you've been watching or listening, one thing that has stuck with me um, is, 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 to, is to be proactive, is to be intentional, is to have these conversations before they happen. In the words of Jack Welch, change before you have to. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing these powerful uh, lessons with us. And if you've been watching, if you're a parent of a teen or know someone who does, uh, please recommend them. Um, share this podcast with them, refer them to Jackie's website. This is this is work that has to continue and the very act may end up saving someone's life. Don't wait until it's too late. Jackie, thanks again for sharing this with us. And to you, our listeners, until next time, stay well.